Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. This is your host, Christina Orlova. Here we will talk about all things OCD. For more information and to contact me with questions, you can go to www.coreresults.com. That's K-O-R-Results.com. Welcome to the show. Today, I have Natasha Daniels with me. And Natasha Daniels has been an anxiety and OCD therapist for over two decades. She combines both her clinical expertise with her lived experience of raising her own three kids with anxiety and OCD. She's the creator of the popular website at Parenting Survival, as well as the host of the top-rated show, AT Parenting Survival Podcast, and the YouTube channel, Ask the Child Therapist. She also gives in-depth support for thousands of parents raising kids with anxiety and OCD through her courses at the AT Parenting Survival Online School and in her online membership at Parenting Community. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And so, you know what? I know that I just said it and I'm going to just put it out there. Can you please, um, just for every one of us to know as we're talking, is it AT Parenting or at Parenting? It is AT parenting. I know it's so confusing. It's it like it stands for anxious toddlers to teens, which is a totally long story. Yeah. And I remember on an episode before we did talk a little bit about that. And so I just, as I was reading, I'm like, wait a second. I know it's AT parenting. There's more to it than that. Um, yeah. So first of all, welcome back. I'm so glad that you said yes. Yeah. I appreciate you asking. Um, yeah. And so part of why I reached out to you and I know that, you know, people listening, you know, you, you created actually a post or a misophonia and I've literally had people either DM me on Instagram or send me emails and asking me to do an episode of misophonia. And I thought how perfect, um, let's, let's get you on and let's talk about it. So maybe we can kind of just dive in about what is it? Yeah. You know, and I, I can speak both from, you know, a person suffering from it and, and a clinician. I'm by no means an expert in misophonia. So I just want to like my little caveat before I begin. Um, but it is something that I understand on a personal level and it shows up when we're doing anxiety and OCD work because it likes to hang out with anxiety or OCD. So it's a common comorbid condition, but it's misunderstood because it's treated, I think, with a lot of anxiety and OCD therapists is treated the same and it's a completely different struggle. It just happens to be a comorbid condition. And so to be simplistic, misophonia is... Um, being triggered by certain sounds. And so sometimes people call it sound rage, um, but it can also be visual stimuli. And so it can be a combination, but it's, you know, you hear a certain sound and for each person with misophonia, it's a little bit different what that is, what that trigger is. Oh, they tend to be things like mouth sounds, nose sounds. Um, it could be clicking or water sounds. Um, it really is different for, for each person, but they tend to be very specific sounds and it triggers that, that rage. It can even, even trigger anxiety and sadness. So it's triggering an emotion that becomes very overwhelming. So it's not, people misunderstand it and think it's a sensitivity to sound like a sensory processing issue. Um, but it's completely different. Yeah, that's interesting. And so as you're speaking, I mean, that was one of the questions I had is what would be some examples and you gave some. So kind of the next question is, can it be multiple sounds or does it tend to be one sound that will that can be the triggering sound? I find that it's typically multiple sounds. I know for myself, it is multiple sounds. Um, They're specific, you know, and so I know what they are and they don't change over time. 
um, the person who does the sounds that bother me because it can be person specific and that becomes another, I know this isn't what you asked, but it just kind of came up. That becomes another issue is that sometimes when someone else is making that particular sound, it doesn't bother you as much as another person. And so there's so many layers that can cause dysfunction in your family or your dynamics, but typically it's, it's a, a category of sounds that upset someone with misophonia. So if I understand correctly, is it basically where, uh, for anybody listening, for example, if you're sitting, let's say in a restaurant and a neighbor at a table is suddenly chewing a certain way or chewing loudly or whatever the chewing sound is, that could be something that could suddenly trigger a person. Um, and if they don't know what's happening, they might just, as you mentioned, kind of go right into feeling really angered or or some sort of intense emotion um, and maybe even be kind of focused and keep looking over like, oh, I wish they would stop or something like that would be an example. Yeah, I, I think for many people, it starts at home. And so I know for myself, and I'll speak a lot about myself just because I can speak about my personal experience, but um, I'm much more tolerant of other people outside of my home and it starts at in my house. And so if my daughter is like, you know, eating something at the table, I can hear it. And then once, once my misophonia hones in on that, there's a rage that starts to bubble. And then there's a, a narrative that goes with it that says like, oh my gosh, she's so disgusting. There's a, a feeling of disgust that gets triggered often with misophonia. And, um, you know, it, it's uh, physiological, like they're showing that there is like part of the brain is feeling that disgust. Mm -hmm. And then there's a story that goes with it that says, she's doing it on purpose or why can't she close her mouth or like it's externalized very quickly. So then you get angry, like, Oh my gosh, can you just close your mouth? Mm -hmm. And then once you hear it, you can't unhear it. And then you're, you're just honed in on it and it, the anger gets worse and worse. Got it. Okay. So there's, yeah, like you said, there's a way that you're perceiving it and kind of how the brain jumps to conclusions or thinking somehow it's all personal. Um, do you by any chance know, um, like what parts of the brain might be at play when this is happening? Because I know like with OCD, we talk about prefrontal cortex. We talk, we talk about amygdala, fight and flight response. Um, is there any part here that you're aware of that that is at play? They have started to pinpoint the auditory cortex. In the past, I would hear like the limbic system, but new research like Ohio State is doing a lot of research on misophonia. Um, and again, I'm not like a complete expert on this at all. Um, it's just a passion of mine because I struggle with it and my kids actually struggle with it too. But um, it's interesting because they just did a study or I don't know how long ago it was, but I was just reading this where the um, auditory cortex was being triggered and not the amygdala, you know? And so I think we think it's anxiety or OCD or like the basal ganglia or, and it's not, it's a completely separate part of the brain. Um, and so it's interesting to me and that, that it triggers a physiological response of sadness, depression, anxiety. And the more they're exposed to it, the, the more they feel those feelings, which I find interesting as well when we talk about exposure therapy, mm -hmm. that it is increasing that physiological response, almost like a trigger button. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And doing, is there any insight on where this kind of comes from? It sounds like if there's a brain part, is it like a brain pathology or is there a genetic component? Yeah, I feel like misophonia is even less understood than OCD. Mm. <laughs> so Got like, it. So we're there. Okay. <laughs> it's not even in the DSM yet. Like we're, so, it's so far behind 
that it's just neat to see that there's research being done on it at all. Got it. So that's interesting. So it's not actually in the DSM and um, it's still, yeah, it's still pretty new. Just like we know with OCD, it's still quite misunderstood, but at least at this point, we do have enough kind of have a, a more of a grasp, I will say about parts of the brain at least that are involved. Um, but yeah, it sounds like with this one, then we really kind of don't have that yet. No, I mean, it was nice to see that there's research that's starting to try to pinpoint mm-hmm. at least where it's, where it's coming from. So if somebody struggles with misophonia and let's say, like you said, maybe it starts in the home and then it can be out somewhere and it could be anything from, you mentioned like any sounds, right? It could be like if somebody does a certain click or breathing a certain way or chewing a certain way or in any sound, it sounds like that your, your kind of ear will and your whole brain will hone in on and kind of hyper-focus. What do you do about that? Like what, what are some current treatments that we do know of? Well, I think that's the million dollar question because- Mm. There is no like solid evidence-based treatment approach that everybody agrees works for misophonia. And so you have research that says do exposure therapy. You have research that says do CBTN exposure. There's sound therapy. Um, There's all sorts of different interventions, but I have yet to see one that's like just the gold standard, you know, that everybody's saying this is really effective. But what is effective at this point consistently is um, distress tolerance And so learning how to manage those sounds, like understanding your triggers. So it is very different than OCD. And I think this is where it can get a little tricky, in my opinion, is because as an OCD therapist, you know, we we don't want to accommodate, avoid, you know, all those things are not good for OCD. And it is a very common comorbid condition. And OCD will hijack misophonia and make it its own thing. You know, let, you know, people who make those noises are then contaminated and I can't be in any situation that makes that noise or anyone who reminds me of that noise. And so it can it can take it and make it its own thing. But with pure misophonia, the way to tolerate it is, is to understand how to accommodate it and how to block it as soon as you can. Um, for example, you know, just use me as an example. Um, my son was eating today. I don't know why. I think he was having soup. But very slurpy, loud. And your brain tells you, that it's on purpose. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm raising like a barn animal and it's magnified. So I know like my perception is skewed. I've learned. Um, And that's the first step is really understanding that I don't get to control other people. I have to control myself because there is a knee-jerk reaction with misophonia and the kids that I've worked with in my practice to want to control the environment because it seems like an environmental issue, like learn how to chew with your mouth closed and we won't have a problem, but it really is a perception issue. And so I recognize this morning, and ironically, I knew like I'm coming on here to talk about this. It's really (laughs) funny um, that I was starting to hone in on it. And so blocking, just like when we talk about BFRBs, body focused repetitive behaviors, you know, picking and pulling, I want to block that urge. Um, I quickly put my AirPods in because if I can get to it early enough where I don't fully hear it, then my rage subsides and my brain can refocus on something else. And so for me and for a lot of the kids I've worked with in my practice, the key was to, to nip it in the bud, become aware of the trigger and not sit there and try to tolerate it because it grows and grows and then you just completely lose it. Got it. Okay. Um, and that would be one strategy. I know you said CBT is what you're talking about there, more like you just mentioned recognizing your own perceptions and where kind of how you're seeing it and where what thoughts you're having around it that they're skewed or they're not quite 
um, really taking everything into account and, and being able to start to correct those cognitions? Yeah, I think, I don't think therapists do that enough, but I do feel like that, that CBT component is really important to say, because it can actually make you think that you have a relationship issue. And so there's so many layers of CBT that you can work on as far as owning it, not controlling other people, identifying your triggers, identifying your coping skills, um, and also recognizing that it's not the other person's fault. And there's nothing wrong with that relationship. I know when for a very long time, my husband was immune to any noises and it was mainly my older daughter that was the target. And I, you can't pick who bothers you. It just, to me, seems random. But then he started to really bother me. And I thought, oh my gosh, like maybe there's a problem with our relationship. Like I'm finding him really disgusting and annoying, especially when he, you know, slurps his cereal, you know, and he would be one of those that would take the bowl and like actually drink the milk. And I'd be like, who taught you that? But, <laughs> um, recognizing like through CBT that it's not your relationship um, is really important. And then mm -hmm. some people do move into exposure. And I think exposure is different though. It's like, it's distress tolerance. And so it's like, when I'm in a situation, I don't want to avoid all situations because that can become an OCD issue if I am predisposed to OCD. And so can I, can I go into a restaurant and tolerate that? Um, even with some accommodations involved, can I, can I learn how to have some distress tolerance there as well? Yeah, and talking about distress tolerance, if we can touch on that for a second, because I, I know we talk about this and I know as, as clinicians and therapists, we have a different training, but I know for anybody listening, you know, who who is not, you know, they might be wondering what, what does that mean exactly? So can you touch on that for a minute? Well, when I'm talking about it, I'm, I'm talking about it in the sense of being aware of like my physiological sensations. So I'm sitting there, we'll just use this example of this morning. I can feel my muscles tense. I'm having some alert awareness that I am not tolerating what is happening in my environment. So awareness is the first step. And then recognizing I need to take care of myself. And so, you know, I, I put my AirPods in. So it could be just blocking, you know, being cognizant enough to re realize I'm, I'm struggling and I'm going to block this. I still could hear it through my AirPods. And I was concerned that I was going to increase my aggression. And I don't want to yell at him because that ruins my relationship with him. Um, and so then I put some, some like brainwaves on, you know, underneath it just to like calm me. And that really brought my stress level down. So learning some techniques and coping mechanisms, whatever that may be for, for each person, how to redirect your focus, how to block can be really helpful. Yeah. And it also sounds like from what you were talking is part of it is just is training and practice over time, right? So like, I would imagine if you are going to use some exposure technique, it might be picking that sound just like sometimes we might do and finding either an audio clip or, a, you know, you going on YouTube, finding something like that and just little by little practicing, kind of having it in the background um, and building a little bit of more of that, like you said, tolerance and ability to to kind of be in the same space with that um, and, and breathe through it. Because like you said, I, I think that's a really important point you made is that you don't want to then inadvertently not realize that you might start to choose to avoid uh, people, places, right? And and in, in fact, of course, that will impact your relationships. Um, yeah, definitely. And so if it's especially like in your home or, or happening in your environment, you can't quite <laughs> avoid that. Um, and like you said, it doesn't mean that your relationship is somehow bad or wrong or um, anything like that. Yeah. And a lot of times, especially with the kids that I've worked with, you know, they're forced to eat 
at the table, or it's considered rude for them to put headphones on or AirPods on. And I think having parents or partners or roommates understand that it's, it's, it's a situation where you can't control that and that it is really helpful. I've had a lot of kids where, you know, they want to sit at the table with their family and they don't want to be isolated. And some do have to sit in another room or eat at different times. And that's not optimal, but can they sit there with vibes on and vibes filter sound, but it's not completely blocking or can they wear headphones if that's not enough? Or can you have brainwaves underneath it? There's plenty of apps that have brainwaves um, under music. And that's actually very soothing and kind of be a counter you know, action towards what's happening in your brain. So I think thinking out of the box as well can be really helpful. I mean, I have my AirPods everywhere. Um, they're, they're by where I sit because my kids are just so triggering, you know, <laughs> that I just pop those AirPods in as soon as I see them grabbing, like, you know, the chip bag done. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing the personal examples, but I also think you gave a lot of great ideas just for anybody listening to understand a little bit of what they can do. And, and like you said, being creative and thinking through that. And, and I think that was a really important distinction you made that it, it's different than OCD. It's something you really can't control. Um, and in this instance, we will be looking for finding an alternative of how to manage that moment or best manage it just so that you don't, you don't escalate all the way um, to that place of, like you said, rage or disgust or, you know, and everything that I'm assuming will come afterwards, right. Probably feeling bad and down right. uh, once, once things kind of level out um, kind of the aftermath. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and discussing with this with me today. Um, if people want to find you, how can they find you? Um, my main, main way is just find me at atparentingsurvival.com. Beautiful. And I'll include it in the show notes. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to OCD Whisperer Podcast. If you have any questions you want me to answer in future podcasts or any other comments, you can go to coreresults.com backslash contact backslash. That's coreresults, K-O-R-R-E-S-U-L-T-S dot com backslash contact.